Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of the podcast, Med Family. I'm Eric Acker with my lovely wife, Karen. Hey, guys. Uh, so we are um, still on the infectious disease, but uh, I guess our housekeeping we try to do at the top here now is uh, if you want to leave us a comment or say you know let me know that i miss messed up something I, I messed up some medical stuff which is totally within the own possibility uh <laughs> instagram med family md is the way to do that and then uh that's how you can communicate ask questions make uh make sure you let me know that i i messed something up so i can correct it and then um if you want to follow the podcast, we are on all the major pl- podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. So, about all that out of the way, we are on infectious disease this week, as well as last week, so we yeah. are in week two. This um, is your last week. I know, I'm going to gonna miss it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been nice. We, you know, we're able to have coffee in the morning with you, hang out with the kids for a brief minute, um, drive it. I don't actually miss the drive in to work, honestly. Um, the drive, I, w- I won't miss the drive in to work. Um, because yeah, because you hit all the school zones uh, during the school so zone. So many school zones. Period. Like three. <laughs> every school zone, it's like all, you know, 25, 30 miles, 35 miles an hour. And there's crossing guards that hold up traffic for like ungodly amounts of time. Yeah, it's just the commute ends up being like five, ten minutes longer when you when you leave at like eight thirty, nine o'clock. So anyway, but it, I will miss the rotation just because it's like I roll in at like nine thirty, ten o'clock, and I can be done by like three. He is done by <laughs> by two or three every day, but he stays later to study because, which reminds me, we need to schedule. That test. Don't don't worry about no. it. Step three will never happen. <laughs> Eric is, has been putting it off and doing I other things, like helping other people with their their applications and their personal statements and whatnot, which is great. But we do need to schedule that test. So I know it's just not the most exciting. I know it's not the most exciting, but if you don't want to travel too far you need to schedule it now well we'll, we'll talk <laughs> that's part basically of the I it's already happened i've waited i've procrastinated too long that we have to hey. travel <laughs> hey there could be people who have cold feet and reschedule and leaving a spot open for me who knows you know it's possible Anywho, that is apparently a task I need to add to my to-do list. It was already a task on your to-do list. I know. I'm sure my program wouldn't be unhappy with me if they reimbursed me for registering for that exam or getting the permit, and I actually don't sit for it. So uh, that'll be fun. Well, I mean, getting the test schedule, not trying to explain to my program why I haven't done it. Uh, <laughs> that way I don't intend to have that conversation. <laughs> no. <laughs> But uh, we are, yeah, 
that is something I do need to do, but I am getting some good study time done, uh, getting lots of a few questions done every day. Um, yeah, my notes are, after my notes are done, I just go to the GME building and camp out there and do some do some questions. So that's I guess going in the right direction. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of what else here is. He's been doing them at night as well. Probably too late into the night. Yeah, but I, I need to probably start changing. But not tonight, obviously. But our sleeping habits to get ready for the eight south or the floor rotations, where I need to be at the hospital by six thirty, not rolling out of bed, and then going back to sleep at six thirty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it has been nice life, with, with the darker um, mornings. The kids have stayed in bed until like six thirty, which is a beautiful thing, as opposed to waking up around five thirty ish. We're getting an extra hour a lot of times, which is nice. Yeah, but I need to start, I guess, adjusting the sleep schedule so it's not a major adjustment next week. And I can hit the ground running for two more weeks on the floors, on our step-down unit. Can't, honestly can't wait. <laughs> it's a great learning experience, and it's just very stressful. There are some days that I think I left that I felt quite miserable and um, I'm hoping with quite a few weeks of other rotations under my belt that I will be able to come back to that floor and do so much better. I am hoping we will find out. <laughs> we will see what happens. Um, and yeah, uh, infectious disease isn't too terrible. Usually a few patients that we, we see every day and I round on all my previous consults um, that I've seen previously talk to our our attending about all the all the things about the patient and he gives us his uh, suggestions and what what he's going to do not really suggestions it's it's the game plan for the patients and then any extra information uh regarding like that patient that disease that pathology how we deal with it etc uh he's just a really big wealth of knowledge so it's a really great teaching environment um but it's also, you know, a very weak spot for me of not knowing all my antibiotics as well as I probably wish I did. Um, and just uh, trying to figure out everything with all the different pathologies. So it's it's been a really good rotation for that. And I've had a, a good other intern on the rotation with me that, you know, work has been pretty good. Uh, honestly, I cannot complain. <laughs> yeah. I've had, I mean, it's like admissions had its own challenges, but like, couldn't really complain too badly if you do three admissions in one day it's like oh that's not that bad um <laughs> and you do infectious disease and you're like oh i have like today i had like six patients i rounded on but like we only saw like two of them during our formal rounds so i only had the right and then only one of them we kept what the other one we apparently belonged to a different infectious disease doctor so we kind of punted it to them which was a little bummer because I was actually really interested in that case, but <laughs> it's such is life, you know? Um, well, you, it's only so often you see that kind of a rare or like a very unique thing. Um, like one of the things you see in a U-World question was like, blood cultures came back positive for this. What do you do? And it's like immediately start treating. It's like not, like you don't even suspect it's a contaminant. You just immediately go for the treatment. And I even listened to like an episode of the Internet Book of Critical Care where they talked about this. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm, I'm going to have so many different things. I have a treatment course and 
some diagnostic tests that we can run, and I think I have an idea of how long I need to treat this patient for, blah, 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 and then I see the patient, I'm ready to present, I present, and then the doctor's like, oh, he sees a different infectious disease doctor in in the, the city? Yep, no, we, that, that patient's gonna go see that infectious disease doctor. We're not going to, we're not taking that. That's, it's apparently the, the agreed upon protocol amongst the infectious disease doctors that if you've seen an infectious disease doctor within the last year and you go to the hospital, that doctor gets you. And I think it's kind of a continuity of care, but it's also kind of a courtesy that you don't poach other people's patients off of them. So That's fair. <sighs> Interesting case gone. <laughs> <laughs> You've had a few of those in your in I your know. time. Like the one um individual at Houston who had all of their organs in the wrong Very wrong spot. <laughs> um, perfectly normal. Like no other issues, but the CT scan is like, what is going on with this guy? <laughs> yeah, and they got transferred out to a different hospital to be taken care of. But no, I think he ended up discharging. He was asymptomatic. No, remember because they redid the schedule so that that person could be seen and he, the oh, doctor yeah, could yeah, be yeah. covered. The, the, the surgeon over there wanted to see him. So they, yeah, that's right. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. We so. did. I think we, we, he might have went to the different hospital, but I don't think he was like transported to the other hospital. I think he discharged. And then, and then he went. Yeah. But he, he did have something done. I can't remember what, but it, that's not important. The important, the point was that there have been several interesting patients that you know, have seen that have, you had, felt like they have slipped through your grasp that you would have loved to <laughs> been on that team that has, has seen them and then not well, been able to. One of the little curveballs with um, residency is that they we do morning report every Monday and Thursday. Uh, morning report start kind of kicks off our didactics on Thursday. So we the seniors or the um, program people assigned different interns uh, morning reports. Basically they say, you're going to do morning report on this day, so find a case mm-hmm. and then present it. And so I'm trying to book a few interesting cases so that when I it's my turn, because it will be my turn at some point this year, that I can be like, here's an interesting case and not be like, here's a typical case of congestive heart failure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the fun bit. Um, so I'm trying to log a few and keep them, I save them on my, on my patient list so I can go back and look at them later. But we, I think we might have like one. So I'm hoping to log a few more just so I can have a little bit of, well, a luxury of, of uh, options. And it, it, the, so morning report is supposed to be educational, so you are supposed to learn something. And there is always kind of a small push to present something new, unique, and interesting that, you know, people don't typically see. Uh, and that, I think, is it's an interesting cultural change. Like a lot of people, we, we all like to see zebras essentially, but it, because it is a learning tool and it's a learning process of like patient presents with this, what are your differentials? And people start calling them out and we write them down. 
like that's actually a good process to go through and kind of keep working on even if it is a very uh, mundane quote and unquote <laughs> or maybe better word is bread and butter like uh, pathology because uh, the more often you see it and the more often you kind of go okay I need to think of these differentials these differentials and this is the workup that you're going to be that much better for it when you do get one of those patients as opposed to oh here's a really weird patient that you're never going to see ever and ever and I've stumped you like now you don't know how you're going to work this patient up it's like yeah you're right I have no idea um, so but that's also hard because sometimes you get very very weird patient presentations and they don't really fit into just about any box and then some of them some of them die <laughs> some of them get transferred out and so you don't have that satisfaction of being like what happened to you uh, well yeah and i feel like a lot of times your patients like you may be on a floor for four weeks so you might actually see the whole continuity of care there but for like admit team you saw them for a day and then you can follow them through the chart but realistically speaking they're not your patient anymore and yeah. I'm, I'm when you are on your ED rotation, it's going to be very much the same thing as once they get admitted, they're not yours. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like you haven't had, I mean, you've had your, your four weeks at um, eight South, but all of your other rotations, you haven't, you've either been like on a consult team or admit team. And so you haven't really kept patients. So to present on a patient would, and that's the other seem difficult. Yeah, that's the other side of the presentation is that they don't want you to just have done a bunch of chart review, and then try to present a patient based off of your chart review. They want you to present a patient that you have physically seen yourself. Um, obviously, you do have to do the chart review because, like, they're going to ask you questions like, "What are the labs? What are the physical exam findings? Did you look at this? Did you look at that?" And kind of go down this long list of things that you may or may not have done because uh, maybe they didn't occur to you or you guys, the treatment course went a different direction because kind of like with all things medicine, um, you have a differential in your mind, a bunch of list of differentials and you have the most likely and you start testing for that and you kind of work down it. But once you kind of go down a course, you kind of stay that course until you maybe hit a dead end or it forks and you go, oh, I need to go back and go to this area. Because, uh, you know, things have changed. Um, I think, for example, there was like, I can't remember all the specifics of the case, but there was one uh, that we recently had to deal with that was like, like, oh, it's a small bowel obstruction, possible pancreatitis. And then, like, we're not going to do anything on this patient, just, you know, NG tube and um, NPO status for the patient. And hopefully the pancreatitis will work itself out and the small bowel obstruction will work itself out. And then it turns out the patient has like this massive GI bleed and surgery gets back involved. They go in, they see like this giant bleeding ulcer with a clot. And so it's like, oh, um, maybe that's what's causing the pancreatitis. Maybe that's, you know, it's like a, a whole different change, change up in how things went. Like we just thought it was like a small bowel obstruction. Now it's like, oh, this is a whole different whole different thing going on here like an actual bleeding ulcer in the in the colon or in the sm small bowel small intestine that is causing a whole bunch of different when surgery has to go in there it's not just a wait, wait it out game or 
decompress anything, you know, untwist the bow. It's no, we have to resect <laughs> different parts of the bow, and we have to deal with, we have to drain the the um, pancre- pancreatic uh, necrotizing pain, <laughs> necrotizing pancreatitis, <laughs> like a whole different course that happened, and obviously that's a you know different than what they initially thought it was going to be. Um, I'm sorry, I just got a message from one of my former classmates, and which kind of leads us to a different topic. One <laughs> uh, I'm not exactly well versed in, so I don't I don't want to shoot myself too badly in the foot when I talk about this. But are we done with the other topic? That's fine. I, yeah, okay. keep going. It's being done here. Uh, I'm. Uh, okay that's weird um that doesn't make any sense so sorry it was a so it's one classmate of mine um he's spending his birthday doing rectal exams which uh, i could think of better ways to spend my birthday he didn't honestly. have a choice he didn't <laughs> he, have a choice he got voluntold uh, <laughs> with his program that they were going to do rectal exams as all the interns were going to do and i i've been trained to picture what scenario leads let's say 20 interns to line up or like go to a clinic and be like okay time for your rectal exam like i just can't imagine even if you got one patient per intern like how do you canvas 20 people to show up in one evening for a rectal exam that seems like a weird and he was like oh it's community outreach and i'm like again i think there's better community outreaches that you could do but <laughs> like blood pressure checks and stuff blood glucose checks like a rectal exams it's an interesting it's a it's very unique community outreach for sure um not one that i would would go with immediately but which kind of brings up the topic uh, i was having with my other interns and like a little bit of review because I, again i was trying to figure out like why would you need to do so many rectal exams in one night why would it be something it's such a big enough deal that you have to basically pull all your interns uh, off of their days off or whatever to do this like it seems like a very weird thing to do and i don't know all the specifics around this particular program but that made me think of rectal exams and why <laughs> i'm sure that i'm not thinking of all the good indications of why you do a rectal exam so take that in as you know as a little thing to keep in back of your mind i don't know all the indications for a rectal exam however uh, I know one of the big ones that is constantly used and is often used for these big screening things is BPH, benign prosthetic hyperplasia. Uh, and it's like, oh, we do a rectal exam. And if, if it feels like a walnut, it's probably not BPH. But if it feels like a cantaloupe is in there, then yes, it's BPH. But like, in the end of the day, it's like, okay, you, you're not just doing a rectal exam on a patient for the like as a part of a normal exam you're not like okay well i just listened to your heart and lungs now bend over and i'll put some lube on my finger and we're gonna go feel to see if your prostate's enlarged like you you ask some questions first like you you have a conversation just like you know uh, i don't know if i want to go there with that this analogy no here and shaking your head no like <laughs> You can, you can, your mind can, imagination can take you here, but before you do anything like that, maybe you should have a conversation with the (laughs) the fella, you know, (laughs) you should get to know the person and see what kind of complaints they have. And like, 
if you have BPH, like you have like an obstructive urine, like obstructive urinary symptoms, like pain on like weak stream, hard to get the stream going, um, kind of urinary retention like symptoms. So like you hear a patient who's like sixty years old complaining of this, and your mind should automatically go to BPH. And then in my mind, it's like, okay, he's complaining of obstructive urinary symptoms. You're going to give him Flomax. You're going to give him Tamoxifen. And that's what they're going to use. That usually helps with BPH patients with urinary flow. It helps the bladder contract down and pushes out that urine. So it's great in that regard. So that's like... Why, why would you need another test? Like, well, I get I, on the patient side of things, if n- nobody wants that done to them, nobody wants, well, I mean, you don't want to do it, we, the patient we, doesn't want to do we it. We both know somebody who's uh, volunteered for this sort of, we'll talk later. Okay. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll talk later. But, like, people volunteer to do, like, like you know, like, in medical schools, there's, like, women that volunteer for pelvic exams and stuff no. like that. I, I'm just saying, like, people do it, and it's valuable. Part, it's a valuable part of the medical education system, and people do get paid for these sort of things. <laughs> um, so, I get it for that purpose. Like, that makes sense. But, like, as a, as a guy who's, like, I'm already having a hard time peeing, and now this guy wants to do a rectal exam and find out if I'm having BPH, like, but all my symptoms line up with it. How is feeling a cantaloupe in my rectal vault going to change the treatment course? Like, are you going to feel the cantaloupe and be like, nope, I'm not going to give him, (laughs) I'm not going to give him Flomax. Like, or are you going to feel it and be like, eh, I don't know if it's really that enlarged. Like, but you still have, obstructive qualities so you probably should I guess in that regard like maybe if it was small and you're like hmm you're having all these urinary sort of things and I'm not feeling a cantaloupe so I guess maybe maybe we need to run some more tests but in the meantime here's some Flomax uh, <laughs> but which also brings up like the USPF TF guidelines which is like this is a class C or grade C guideline, which is basically no recommendation. This is not like a strong recommendation. It's not even a, we recommend it, but like we are, we understand there's some evidence that doesn't, it, like a B is like, it's recommended, but there is some recommendations kind of against it. So like probably should do, but not the end of the world if you don't do. A, a class A recommendation is like definitely do. Um, definitely should do <laughs> and class C is there's pros and cons so you're not going to get in trouble for not doing it you're not going to get in trouble for doing it use your best clinical judgment so uh, that's how kind of how I see it as like use your best clinical judgment there's obviously indications for rectal exams and indications for like sphincter tone you know <laughs> stuff like that there, there are reasons you do these things but like for BPH, I just don't, I don't understand how that changes your treatment course. So and then like same with the PSA. I think PSA is also like a class C, if I'm not mistaken. So like you're, it doesn't hurt. It's kind of not perfect as an exam, as a lab tool, but it's probably okay for a baseline sort of 
Anyway, use word caution. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an expert in this type of subject matter, so take that for what you will. No, I think that there are some things in medicine that I don't, and granted, I am not in medicine, I don't know why they all do these things, but I do think that there are some things, well, like, for example, Uh like, (laughs) (laughs) this is the unscripted part of the show, I have no idea what (laughs) well, like, for example, when you're pregnant, they do all of, all of the same exams at the beginning of every pregnancy, and quite frankly, like, you know, like a breast exam, and normally they don't actually catch anything by f- basically feeling you up. It, normally it gets caught. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it doesn't. Nor- it's most, not a sexual thing. I know it's not. I know it's not. Just but, like the rectal exam is not a sexual thing. <laughs> I know it's not. But like that and like your typical women are supposed to have a pap smear every what, three to five years, but, like, I had back-to-back pregnancies, and, like, you get one with every pregnancy. Why? I'm not a, I'm not. I I'm, know you're not an ob <laughs> and you don't want to do that, and that's fine, but, like, there <laughs> are some. I went to internal medicine. <laughs> <laughs> there are some things where I'm just, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, I just had this done, and I don't have to have it done for another however many years, and yet we're doing it again because, of something, and I know it's probably as a just in case. That way, you and the baby are safe. We can treat whatever. But at the same time, like nobody wants to go through that <laughs> multiple times all the time. So, I'm, not, I'm not trying to take away from any of that. I think the ones that I find are the more not problematic, but like kind of frustrating ones are like the STD panels. Yeah, where it's like, okay, you saw me a year ago. And you did an STD panel for, you know, for my pregnancy. And then you now see me now and I'm telling you I'm monogamous, monogamous with my spouse and I haven't slept with anyone else. And like, you're running another STD panel. And I'm like, paying, yeah, and I'm paying for it. <laughs> and I'm paying for it. I think that's the worst part is like, sometimes it's like, it's good medicine. I and mean, I understand from their perspective, like from the healthcare side of things, like patients lie. Yes. I mean, patients legitimately lie about everything and um, without regard for, like, whether that makes their life harder or, like, oftentimes it makes your life, like, just being honest with your healthcare professional is great, but, like, we're apparently this human condition that makes us think that, you know, if we lie, it's not going to hurt anybody, and if we don't tell the truth, then it's no big deal. Like, <laughs> where it's like, if you just tell us, then we can treat you and take care of you, but anyway... Um, so I get from that side of it, like, uh, an STD can be, pose a serious obstacle, uh, in the pregnancy process and it's better than that in the onset. So you can deal with it as opposed to after you've given birth and now you have like an infection that's transmitted to the baby and then you have to deal with that. It's, and, and you're dealing with that on the fly as opposed to knowing like, Hey, we know that this exists and now we're prepared for it. So I get that. I get that from the medical side. But I think the, the struggle bit is like that financial component where it's like from the patient's perspective, like I know I'm been monogamous. I know my husband's been monogamous. I, <laughs> I don't have any of these symptoms that you, you would be concerned about. And I'm now going to have to pay for this lab test because you don't believe me, which again, kind of like you're making me pay for this lab test. Like it's not necessary given what I've told you. But 
patients' lives. So uh, <laughs> take that for what you will. And I mean, there also are some tests uh, post birth where there are more state health department guide, guideline mandated, um, looking for like PKU and other stuff like that. Um, so fun thing. Pregnancy is a great time. And, and again, a reason why I don't. Uh, <laughs> but don't ever want to go there but it does be an interesting point like uh, same with the rectal exam as much as the breast exam like you don't do it very often you're probably not great at knowing what to look for so like myself I'll be completely candid like my rectal exam education in medical school consisted of uh, models not people models but like rubber plastic models that we got to practice on and they had different ones for different things and you could, you know, stick your finger in there and feel around. And uh, supposedly you got an idea of what things felt like. But, like, I couldn't honestly tell you. I, you know, that was like a couple of days of trying that. Like, did that make me proficient? Probably not. <laughs> so I'm not, I would not class myself, classify myself as proficient. And so, therefore, like, if I were to do a rectal exam, would I be able to find the more nuanced findings or would I only be good at finding the obvious gross abnormalities? So, uh, I don't know. Same with, like, again, the kind of same with breast exams. Like, you may have practiced it a few times, but if you don't do it very often, then you may not be very good at it, and so you may not be able to find things. That's, I think that's why some of these physical exams are, can be difficult. They can be very useful. You, you can find a lot of things on physical exam that can be very clinically useful for diagnosing a patient, If but if you're not really good at it, you don't look at it very awesome, often, <laughs> then you can miss things. It's kind of like uh, hokum is one other thing we were talk I was talking about with some of my cohort, because um, they were like, oh, look, young patient who who bagel passes out has a syncopal episode after straining themselves like in the gym you know is it is it more likely to be a vagal episode or is it more, can it be hokum um it's like it's like a a condition in the heart where like the septum gets hypertrophy uh, hyperplasia growth like it gets really big and like it obstructs the outflow from the left ventricle uh, it's I think you can have it as an old person, but realistically, you're probably going to find out about it in the young people. And this is kind of notable for young athletes who just pass out, like basketball players who pass out on the court. Um, it can be scary because if you're blocking the outflow track, uh, you do it well enough, quote unquote, well enough, it can cause cardiac arrest. And that is a problem. <laughs> so this is where you have young athletic individuals who are very fit just drop dead and that is scary and hokum is something that you're supposed to screen for on physical exams uh for us like sports physicals and now how well do the people doing sports physicals know how to listen for and hear a patient who has hokum is very debatable um and i'm not saying that there's a whole bunch of doctors who don't know how to do it that's not that's not what you should take away from this it's just Doctors have to be very keen on looking for it and listening for it because uh, it's not, I don't know the statistics. I don't want to say it's not common, but it's certainly 
not like, oh, 50% of the population has it. Um, interestingly enough, babies can have it too. Um, well, you, you get it as you grow up, obviously, so it can be a congenital sort of thing. But babies can have it in women who are uh, gestational diabetes. Oh. Yeah, it's interesting. They can have like this uh, septal hyperplasia that is kind of like a holcom, but it eventually goes away. Uh, it's just a kind of a response to the uh, excess insulin and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. We were talking, we were t- me, me and another intern were discussing Holcomb and cause as all the exams of if you don't know what you're looking for or you don't look, you don't hear it very often and you're not very good at looking for it, sometimes you can miss very important things. So like for lactose exam, you can miss very important things for cardiac exams you can miss Holcomb so yeah well and you think about it like at what point do kids transition from their pediatrician to like some sort of primary care because there are a lot of kids like you can say on pediatrician for like yeah you can until 21 in some cases yeah and so that's a wide range of patients that you are seeing and like kids are vastly different from infant to 18 vastly different um and so i could see how somebody would be something like that could get missed because i mean i don't know like how often but it is interesting yeah no for sure it's uh it's very um it's something that we're thinking about and as you as you work at if you're working on becoming a physician, uh, something to kind of keep in the back of your mind that these are skills that you need to continue to keep refreshing because um, you just don't want to miss something obvious and something... I mean, there's not, not only is there the legal liability, um, that is like one of the fun things about sports medicine, you do actually have some legal liability there if you because you are saying this patient can t- partake in a physical activity that has lots of exertion and as part of my exam, I'm doing, you know, no cardiac defects that should preclude you from physical activity. Because if someone has Holcomb, they probably should be on a beta blocker. They probably should be avoiding strenuous activity. And depending on how severe it is, they might need a defibrillator. So uh, <laughs> things, things to keep in mind. Um, and so, like, probably those patients aren't the ones that you want running track they're not the ones you want on contact in any sports essentially like football basketball baseball anything like that you know maybe golf (laughs) it's debatable whether golf's a real sport but you know (laughs) really targeting our key audience there (laughs) um sorry (sighs) the doctor sport that you probably won't ever get into i know it's one of those it's one of those sports like all these doctors like to play, and we know people who are doctors and play golf. And I understand it's like a, a nice social. You can chat. You can have a beer. You can walk the course. It's you are six outside. hours long. <laughs> it, it's very long, um, but I'm not very good at it, and it is expensive. Like it is not a cheap sport, and like if you're going to spend that kind of money on something, you might as well try to be decent at it. Not like Tiger Woods decent, but like eh, not if we're gonna spend to that kind it. of money, let's buy a boat. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. like if I'm gonna spend that kind of, I don't want lessons. Like, teach me how to shank the ball further to the left, 
and I know how to do. Like, <laughs> I remember on my hand, like, how many good shots I've had on golf. Like, I did enjoy playing golf with my, my friends uh, before I went into medical school. It was fun, as long as I wasn't expected to be good at it. <laughs> but after, like, the eighth hole on an 18-hole day... And, like, all your friends are like, what's taking Eric so long? He has been in the woods this entire time. I'm just like, yeah, that's a, a that one was a part of four, but put, put me down for 15. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> not good. <laughs> um, anyway, that was a little off the rails <laughs> there. Oh, um. Anyways, it's been a good week. We'll have a good rest of this week, and we'll enjoy Eric's last last weekend for a while. I We have a feeling, or I don't know if we, I have a feeling <laughs> that, I mean, Eric is going to do his 8 South, so we know that he's going to be working both those weekends. And then he will have um, that week off, but most of that will be spent studying. Yeah, after my two weeks, I have a week off. And then he will have his ED rotation, which I am assuming he will be probably working Halloween because as any first responder knows, Halloween, (laughs) New Year's, Christmas, July 4th. A lot can go wrong. Any any holiday with fireworks. I mean, we're not or... in the south or anything. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way that we're going like they don't shoot guns off in this into the air. We don't launch. We don't blow up fireworks in the south. Like, yeah. No, Anyways, no, I, I guess we Eric, are. Eric will probably <laughs> Eric will Nothing probably be south. working. We, we on... purposely wanted to be here, <laughs> like intentionally. We intentionally. Yes. Um, <laughs> this Eric wasn't will... an accident. <laughs> You will probably be working Halloween and probably be working most of those weekends. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I think we've been kind of planning on not having the weekend for a while, but yeah. we will, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully we'll get that schedule within the next couple of weeks. And as I understand it, I think tomorrow is the day all the EWAS applications go live. Oh, so, uh, I think all the program. I think it's all the programs get your applications tomorrow. I could be wrong. I was talking to some of the transitional students, and they were talking about that. Um, word of advice: You want it done. You want it. <laughs> you want your application to be in the first batch of applications that programs grab. Even if, like, I think peds and other like orthopedics and a few other specialties. Weren't going to send off invites until a certain date. Just you still don't, have you don't want to count submitted. on that. You don't want to wait and be like, oh no, internal medicine is not going to send out invites until this date. So I have this until that date to send out, you know, like make sure my application's perfect and send it out. Like, no, get it out tomorrow. Make sure it is ready to go tomorrow. Um, you want to be in that. But also, this is like that. This is this. Diminishing returns, like, don't put out crap. (laughs) (laughs) Just to put something out there, don't put out something that's terrible. You want to put out something that's worthwhile and that you're proud of and um, you think is going to do good. So, like, obviously this is going to ring hollow, but if you are not going to put it out tomorrow, but you all you have to do is a bit more work, maybe pull the all-nighter, get it done, make it look nice, make sure the grammatical errors are out of there. 
because any excuse a program has to eliminate you from the hundreds of applications and the hundreds of interviews that they're going to have to do, they'll do. So like you don't need to misspell things. It's very simple not to run it through a chat GPT. You can even like copy and paste and just say make edits and it will do these sort of things for you. So like try to use the tools available, chat GPT, Grammarly, all these other things that are all great resources, all free. Um, tomorrow's the day. Do your best. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck to everyone. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.